Welcome to Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices in theology. Today is round two with Reverend Chanhi Hyo, Disciples of Christ minister and theologian and Korean immigrant. In this episode, Chanhi and I discuss a paper she wrote about the troubles the church has in dealing with the intersectionality of human identity, including race, gender, sexuality, nationality, and ethnicity. We focus in on mainly Korean immigrant church structures and their power structures, and then to the purpose of church writ large. So we talk about questions like, can church be a home for minority peoples, and how can it be a home when it preaches problematic ideologies from the pulpit and perpetuates hegemonic norms that regulate and create otherness? This is a really good one, y'all. I hope you enjoy. Here's Chanhi. I'm so excited to dive into just the real theological questions Mm -hmm. about really just your identity and what it means to be part of this. Uh, you sent me a paper you wrote. Um, is this for an AAR? Yeah. Um, I originally wrote this paper for my MDiv project. And based on this paper, I submitted a proposal to AAR, which was accepted recently. Well, this is, it's a a beautifully written paper about um, LGBT immigrants and a desire for a spiritual home. And you use uh, a literary text, a non, or a fictional literary text, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I used Korean American writer Alexander Chi's novel, Edinburgh, to examine the complicated nature of the politicized home and security. Um, Just to give you a quick overview, the novel is the maturation story of a queer Korean-American protagonist whose name is V. Um, V, as a child, experiences violence when he joins a boys' choir. Even though the novel is not centered on a church community or religion, I thought the power and ideological structures that enable violence and perpetuate silence are very relevant to the Korean immigrant church. I can see a parallel hierarchical culturally specific system in the Korean immigrant church. But you have all the layers of being an immigrant Mm-hmm. you know, um, being Korean American or just yes. being, being, not yet. Not okay. yet. okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Being, <laughs> being a Korean in America yes. <laughs> and, um, being a woman as we've talked about a lot, um, and trying to be in, I mean, we can talk about it in church in general and, and being in a Korean immigrant church. Because there seems to be, you know, other power dynamics and the way that power structures 
are in a, the Korean churches mm-hmm. um, that might not. And I think probably what drew you to the DOC church. Yeah. Right. Is that the power structures aren't quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause all this stuff is so rich, maybe leadership structures. Like you talked about the vertically centered ministerial authority mm-hmm. of the Korean churches. So there's one pastor in these types of churches and the pastor, the church is built around the pastor, right? Yes. Um, in my paper, I argue that most Korean immigrant churches are vertically power centralized and also pastor centered. I think this pastor's authoritarian leadership has been developed by mutual consent between the clergy and the congregation members. I guess most senior pastors in churches in general have authority, but in Korean immigrant churches, the impact and influence of the pastor are much more amplified, especially in immigrant social lives. Um, And as immigrant churches function as an active social space for those who are limited from the larger society with their language and cultural barriers. So, for example, a lot of senior pastors have power to implement um, heredity system of succession, and they often treat church as their own property, and they even set boundaries and rules of congregants' dating life. What would a better balance of power look like? Um, In your opinion, like one thing I really liked about Disciples Church was really democratic, and when they decide, that, like you know, decision process, um, they try to involve congregation, yeah, and, um, like really transparent about all the process but Mm -hmm. um, in Korean church system based upon my experience um, very few people mainly elders group Mm -hmm. decide elders group and senior minister um, decide every single thing um, about church and um, I don't think hierarchy is opposite of equal relationship or horizontal relationship always functions well. But I do think hierarchy requires consent and delegation so that both leadership group and congregation members can have mutual acceptance to each role and responsibility and authority. But many Korean immigrant churches, in my opinion, have been formed with partial consent and inequitable distribution of delegation. And congregation members don't even have power 
to withdraw their consent. So, in this specific power structure, senior pastor sermon easily becomes the truth, which I'm more worried about. Um, when senior pastor preaches about problematic ideology, not many people question about it. They don't question about senior pastor's theology, but try to understand it and accept it. Like LGBTQ issues, misogyny comments, or exploitative capitalism. Something like, if you're good enough, God will reward you with wealth and success. Something like that. So, when it comes to LGBTQ issues, following one person's limited perspective, congregation members can quickly demonize those sexual minorities. I love how you really point out, like, and I, I, I really resonated with this piece too, about you're faced with the decision to either, in, in this case, you're talking about an LGBT mm-hmm. Korean immigrant who's faced with, you're faced with the decision or any sexual minority to either reveal or hide your stigmatized identity, whatever that is. So like, obviously when the pastor says this way of life is not okay, it's against God's word, it's sinful, then there's automatically a stigma about anything that goes against that, right? how difficult it is. You either, and if you reveal yourself, you're going to be ostracized or maybe even thrown out of the church. Right. Or if they hide who they are, then all of the, um, the negative psychological yeah. symptoms that happen, which is very much what I grew up feeling um, mm-hmm. and how the depression and the anxiety and the, insecurity and self-doubt and all these things you named like are so real and so just de- they're devastating to a mm-hmm. young especially a young person anyone but yeah um right um virginia brooks calls those internal stress of self-consument as minority stress and i think for lgbtq immigrants the psychological symptoms and minority stress can be magnified with their race. Um, yeah, for instance, stereotypes about Asian gay bodies or masculinity. Um, and let's just think about it. Um, if you're a newly immigrant LGBTQ Christian, in addition to insecurity, and constant nervousness that you may already have being away from your own culture, you suffer from those psychological symptoms over and over again, whether you revere your identity or not. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things. Like, yeah. It just it boggles my mind um, to imagine not being in your home country and for whatever reason needing to leave or being brought over here and um, having to navigate that 
the language barrier, the cultural difference, assimilating, you know, all these things. Um, And, and then on top of it, you know, feeling like your gender identity or sexual orientation isn't like everyone else's. Mm -hmm. What do you do? I don't understand why churches can't figure out (laughs) like this is nothing new, right? Like people have been dealing with these issues since the beginning of time. Like why, why, why has the church not figured it out? It is 2018. (laughs) Why can we not have walk with each other in love and try to figure this out instead of damn it, damn to hell. You know what I mean? Like I just, why? Yeah, that's, that's not, that's what I have like from the beginning, but I cannot figure out like <laughs> I still cannot figure out. Yeah. I mean, you put somewhere in here too about how um, Korean churches are separating over this issue of same sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, why? Like, why not? why is no one getting upset over sort of like sexual assault or other serious problems, you know, humanity's facing? Um, why, why is it this one? Yeah. You said an increasing number of um, Korean American churches are splitting up over same sex marriage. And this demonstrates how important LGBTQ issues are for Korean immigrant Christians and their religious lives. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why um, Korean Christians so quickly and easily refuse to think about LGBTQ issues. And recently I heard that in Korea, if you support LGBTQ people, you cannot be ordained. You're not allowed to be ordained. Isn't that so weird? Like, you cannot be a pastor because you love and embrace the marginalized. That's crazy talk. Yeah. Like, what if, like, why isn't it another issue? Like, if you support the NRA, then you should, you know, like, where does it, why, why that thing? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my struggle, honestly. Yeah, obviously, both of us. (laughs) (laughs) like what in the world um but i like how you talk about hegemony Mm -hmm. and how stigma how stigma god how do you say this word stigmatization (laughs) i can't say it stigmatization happens um when there's an undesired differentness and there's a fundamental differentness, and we make an other, right? We make uh, an otherness because you're outside of the same group that's all the same. Yeah. So stigmatization encourages hostility and discrimination towards those who are outside of the sameness, or what the word, the big word for that is hegemony. Mm-hmm. So I use the word hegemony as it relates to the Korean immigrant church as a home. Um, For many Korean immigrants, it is true that those churches are serving as a 
second home that provides hospitality and comfort. But for LGBTQ Christians, this home of hegemony just forces them into two options. Either accept the hegemonic structure's ideologies in order to have home and stay in that church, or just give up their potential home and live quietly. And um, in these both options, there is a sense of dissociation, um, which the main character in Edinburgh experiences. Um, In the novel, he looks himself in the mirror after he experiences the violence, and he cannot recognize himself. I think that is what LGBTQ Christians currently face in Korean immigrant churches. Yeah, I mean, when you think about pulpit becomes a place demonize people and condemn them based upon their identity, it is just, it's really scary because it can happen to everywhere, like based upon their ideology. Yeah. Yeah. I like how, too, you talk about a sense of people, and I think all people need this. We talked a a little bit about it, just a need for a home, right? Like a place we can fit in Mm -hmm. and find comfort and solace and peace and harmony, right? Yeah. Um, And that's, I think, both of our visions for the church. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, but in this paper, I argue that home can be negotiable. Um, as you said, home can be a place that gives you comfort, security, and stability. But home also can be a place of violence, the place you want to escape from. Um, as Spivak says, Definition of home relies on one's position, which means one's specific discursive practice. Then, um, if you accept the premise that home is negotiable, you should give each and every individual a right to negotiate. But in Korean immigrant churches, LGBTQ people are not allowed to be involved in this conversation, which means agency of LGBTQ people is automatically eliminated and their rights to decide whether they want to have this church as their home or not are deprived. So um, whenever Korean immigrant churches demonstrate themselves as second home, I keep revisiting the same question. Like, home for whom? Like, um, what kind of home you mean? You mean home of violence? All these kind of questions. I think this point you make about agency and subject Mm -hmm. formation is really key. And Mm -hmm. that's what you were just talking about. Like, 
if we don't, if LGBT people are silenced and don't have a voice and aren't seen as real people or they're just demonized or I like to say demonized, but mm-hmm. I'm all, I'm saying your word, the same thing I'm meaning in, in terms of stigmatized. <laughs> it's just easier for me to say. <laughs> um, uh, but you, you really, you use Judith Butler really well um, to explain this. I wanted to point out one of the things you said that I think would be super helpful. Subjectivity is formed by social and discursive existence. So that means basically you, to me, what you meant is like, we can't have people can't have agency until a community acknowledges our sub, our subjectivity, mm-hmm. which is what you are saying. Um, but how, like what needs to change for LGBT people to get subjectivity in a, in, in the church? Um, um, many Korean immigrant churches don't think they even have LGBTQ congregants in their own church, like I thought for a while in Korea. Um, for them, LGBTQ people are someone being outside of their world. So by othering LGBTQ people, totally segregating from their own community, they keep emphasizing what we should do as distinguished Christians against homosexuality. Um, I don't know. Actually, as I become a part of predominantly white church, um, as a person of color, or only person of color, I used to run into similar situations. Like, when the white pastor preaches we, what does the pastor mean? Like, does the we include me? Does it include other people of color who are not in the congregation but could be? I mean, it's really important to be able to imagine your audience as someone who looks different from you. Similarly with LGBTQ congregants, being able to imagine your audience as someone with different gender identity or sexual orientation and seeing them as a human like other congregants should be the first step, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is just as important as we need to have women in leadership. We need to have LGBT people in leadership, right? Like, yeah, um, or some way involved in our churches and in our homes where they're realized as real human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just being in white dominant church, I think it's similar issues. Um, like thinking about people of color in their congregation. Uh-huh. Like many times, um, I mean, it sounds really easy to acknowledge somebody else or <laughs> right. other people in, in, <laughs> in the congregation, but it doesn't happen that easily. Right, right, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, uh, many people can see you as um, like Asian, and you try to involve um, that Asian body into your church, but um, sometimes I just wonder, like, what that acknowledging means. Mm. So um, I guess, like, for LGBTQ individuals, like, it's really hard to, I mean, that's why um, I, I call that, like, concealable. Um, concealability of their identity. Mm-hmm. They can easily conceal their identity. Like, mm-hmm. um, if you want to hide your identity. Right. right, but you can't being Asian, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> or, or a woman most of the time. Yeah. So there are differences, but because of this concealability, uh-huh. it can be harder for LGBTQ people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after I wrote my paper uh-huh. and like sort of being um, predominantly white church for almost two years. And uh-huh. before this church in Nashville, I, um, I was an intern, minister intern at white dominant church as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just think about like church as a space for security often like becomes um, violence to those minorities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like not just like sexually marginalized um, to, for me, like um, racially marginalized people. Mm -hmm. It's really tricky for me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why I I think I became, have um, like interest in this kind of um, space. Um, yeah. I think it's brave, Chani. Like, I feel like that's my word for you. Like, you're just freaking brave. I mean, this is difficult. You, what you're trying to do is difficult on a number of levels. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think so. I... <laughs> I feel like I cannot be welcome from like either immigrant church or white church. I know. I'm like, what do we do with you? Like, I know what I want to do is <laughs> give you serious power and status. Um, but it's not that easy. I There's nothing I can do unless you want to become Episcopalian with me. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I already ordained. Yes, you are. You are. (laughs) Um, But your vision for the church and and deconstructing the church's ideological frameworks that, you know, that you say we should do to establish a hospitable sphere for 
the subaltern others. That's your word. Um, mm-hmm. People who don't have subjectivity in the church for whatever reason, right? Racial, gender, sexuality. Um, yeah. You know, one thing that keeps coming to my mind is like, I want you to be a part of the church. I want to be a part of the church, but why do we care about the church? You know what I mean? Like if the church keeps being an inhospitable home for us, mm. why do we bother? What is it for you? Do you think? Mm. Why do you care about the church? Well, I care because if church cannot be an open and affirming space, I don't have any hope for church. Um, that is why I'm working at church right now, and I want to work for church because I still believe we can make changes. Um, also, even if I don't care about church on an individual basis, I cannot deny the significance of the church in society, especially for Korean immigrants, church is so much part of the fabric of their lives um, that I have to wrestle with its role and responsibility. And if can if church cannot provide hospitality to others, I don't know where I can find hope in this world. Mm. Mm. Oh, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's real. That's so real. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be really hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like what I what I got from like the end of your piece, like the only way we can create this communal reality and have possibility for transformation. I'm using your words here. Is, is to have relationships with one another. Like, it's so simple, right? Like you said it, it's so freaking simple. Yes. <laughs> like, it's not that hard to show someone dignity and respect and treat them with dignity and respect. Like, that. why, like, basic human interactive skills that the church should be teaching, right? Right. How to treat others. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> That's why when I wrote this paper, I was like revised over and over again. <laughs> it sounds so simple and it's right. so basic. But, <laughs> like there's no other way I can conclude this paper. There's because... not, no, there's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's kind of basic expectation toward like some spaces like church but like yeah there are so many ideological like power dynamic that changes the nature of church yeah absolutely yeah so. <laughs> it's a terrible conundrum like it's like it's a web of crap sometimes mm-hmm um, but it, it, but something so simple though is very powerful, right? Like just getting to know people, I mean, has changed my life. Mm. It's it has literally saved my life. 
Mm. Like my, my friends of color, mm-hmm. I can't tell you, especially one of my mentors um, is a African-American woman. She was one of my coaches at Notre Dame has literally saved my life over and over again because we've formed a very close friendship and she's been a mother to me when I haven't had any mother figures around Mm. and she's been my home. Mm. And the church, we should be each other's home. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, I I want to emphasize that part, like um, Dr. Mayra Rivera. Yeah, yeah. As um, the deconstructive embrace you say about her. Um, she said, experiencing other people, like others, you never imagined or you never experienced. Um, and embracing their otherness is um, transcendence of God Mm. and through that kind of experience we can experience God in a different way yes yes so um, if church really values that (laughs) and as a Christian, if you define yourself as a Christian, and if you want to experience God more, like you should open to open yourself to those otherness um, instead of being scared of it or yes, like demonizing it. Yes, but, or being so comfortable in the hegemony of your life. Yes. Right. Right. Like being everything being the same isn't necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, isn't that America values? <laughs> <laughs> American, right? <laughs> I'm Korean, so I don't know about that much, but yeah, isn't it? Girl. <laughs> girl, girl, girl. We don't we don't have time to get into that on the. <laughs> This episode, but you're right. I appreciate the I appreciate that perspective as an immigrant to this country. There, that's you're absolutely right. A hundred percent. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, especially since moving home. Um, the idea I've heard that the idea of multiculturalism is a bad thing. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> oh, wow. You want us all to, like, literally, like, we should all be the same. We're just Americans. I'm like, what does that even mean? Hmm. Anyways. Is that because of um, new administration? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for part two with Chanhee. And thanks again, my dear friend Chanhee, for your courage and your voice. It's such an honor and a pleasure to speak with you about these extremely important issues in the church right now. 
Join me next week, y'all, as I interview Bonnie Christian. She's a theologian and a public writer and author. We'll be promoting her new book, A Flexible Faith. We'll see y'all next week. And as always, please take the time to rate and review and subscribe to Theosophia on iTunes. Check out our Instagram, at Theosophia Podcast, and our Twitter page, at Theosophia Pod. See y'all next week. Peace.